What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Not So Bomb Voyage podcast, episode 35. On today's episode, we're talking about bombs to Brisbane, what those pesky flight attendants have been up to, and I tell Christine a crazy Colombian kidnapping story. Grab your hiking boots and let's go. And then the train got lost. How does the train get lost when it's on rail? I just want to get out there in the wild. Well, it was in the itinerary. I mean, adventure, it's calling. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been excellent. G'day, 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 good g'day. day, good day to you. Good day to you, we not tip so our way. hat to you. Yeah, we tip our hats and we're not even wearing hats, <laughs> and that's how much we tip our hats to you. It's the Not So Bon Voyage podcast, episode 35. And life is the same as always. Yeah, same as always. It is Mother's Day though, so we wanted to do a special shout out to our beautiful mothers, Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I love you so much. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, well, then I better say it as well. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Even though I know you don't listen to the podcast, <laughs> uh, thank you very much anyway. I'm actually probably not that fussed that you don't listen to the podcast. If you are listening to this, then I'm sorry for being wrong. But, you know, you can just keep doing your own thing. You don't want to hear the shit that it comes out of Jules's mouth anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all right with you not listening to it. So <laughs> that's all good. But, hey, to all the mums out there that are listening – and all the future mums and all the mums to be, pretty much all women, I guess. <laughs> to all women. To all women. We hope you enjoy our podcast. This episode is dedicated to all women. <laughs> all the ladies out there. <laughs> all smooth jewels. <laughs> so today, Jules is telling a story. I am. I am. I've got a very good story. It is. It was inspired from our episode last week when we were talking about Columbia. Ooh. So I went and did some research on a story idea I had, and it is very good. It is another thrilling, you know, it takes you in many different, there's many different stories. It's very exciting. Wow, I love a multi-story story. Yes, but before we do that, before we jump into our main story, let's uh, do a couple of updates. And then also, I think we've got some in the news. I mean, there's really not that much news going on, but... I have an in the news from 2018. So it's not in the news, in the new news, but it was in the news. It was in the news. I mm-hmm. mean, technically everything is in the news. So yeah, let's let's roll with it. Okay, update number one. We had another amazing Voyager chat last Thursday go live with Jeremy Scott Foster from the travel blog Travel Freak. And it was a really great chat. He talked about traveling with Lyme disease and blind travel dates and some other crazy stuff. It was a really good episode. So if you haven't listened to our Voyager chat series, make sure you go and listen to that. Yes, it is a very interesting chat. And Jeremy, as he said, is an open book. So he told us a lot of shit. (laughs) Absolutely. And we're going to continue our Voyager chats. We're going to talk a little bit more about that at the end of the episode, our Voyager chat coming up this Thursday, but they are continuing. We're excited to bring you some interview style not so bon voyages. So that's a really exciting part of the podcast that we're excited. We're all excited. Everyone's excited. excited. Okay. This week, I want to give a special shout out to our two top listener countries. Well, apart from the US, which has always been our most popular audience, and the UK and, and places like that, I want to give a special shout out to Kuwait, of all Ooh, places. Oh, really? Yes. And Ireland for being our two top listeners this week. Really? Because isn't Kuwait like a really small country? It's tiny. Huh. And so to the people in Kuwait, I say, shukran jazilan. Shukran jazilan. And that is thank you in Arabic. And nice. to the people in Ireland, don't think I've forgotten about you because <laughs> I went, I really should have watched the video again, how to say this. Guru Managat. Guru Managat. Guru Managat. 
I'm sure we're going to get a lot of <laughs> messages, audio messages from people telling us how we pronounce those wrong. Yes, that is supposed to be thank you in Gaelic. It, I have in brackets it says fast, so I think I'm supposed to say it fast. Guru Manigat. They do speak very fast. Yes, very fast. So Guru Manigat to our Irish and Shukran Jazilan to our Kuwaitians. Kuwaitians? Kuwaitans? Kuwaitans. Kuwaitans? Kuwaitans, yes. Probably. That's it. Uh, and my final update is, where's Bert? Well, Bert, the guy who's sailing around the world by himself, the, man, the safest man who is in a permanent lockdown and quarantine. He's just getting around New Zealand. So he's actually in his final stretch. He's about to cross the Pacific. And every time I look at the map, I swear it looks like he's going into like a Category 6 storm. So hang in there, Bert. He's a wild man. He's a wild man. Hang in there, Bert. If you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, this is a guy who is sailing all around the world by himself without electronic GPS navigation but, but he has he, Instagram. He has Instagram, you guys. We, he's not sailing without electronics. It's just the uh, uh, without electronics Which sat is nav. A very impressive. But he still has Instagram. Well, no, he doesn't have. So it. he could look up maps on Instagram. No, he has email, and somebody, uh, somebody does his Instagram for him. I'm still not completely 100% uh, believing that he doesn't use Google Maps to sail the open seas. But we'll see. She's not a Bert believer. We had to get him on the podcast, and I need to. Do like a lie detector Are you a Bert test. Lever or not? I'm a Bert Lever. I am, but we do have to get him on the podcast to uh, confirm some of these suspicions. I, I'm just raising suspicions that other people may have, but I am a Bert Lever. Bert Lever. Okay. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay. That's it for my updates. I love those updates. I don't have any updates. Okay. Well, tell us your. Things are exactly the same for me. Tell us your in the news. So my in the news was actually, I was actually going to use this story as a bonus episode for our bonus content for our Patreon listeners. Get on it. Get on it. Go over to Patreon. Find Not So Bon Voyage. Subscribe, if that's the right word. Support. Get into it because we have bonus content. But I've decided to make this an in the news because it's a bit shorter. And I want to save the content, bonus content for like the really dope the stuff. The really good stuff. So this is a story from 2018. So a woman arrived to Brisbane, Australia. Ever heard of it? Yeah, Bris Vegas. Bris Vegas, baby. Bris Vegas, because it's so fun there. Is that why you call it Bris Vegas? Uh, who knows? I think it's an ironic name. <laughs> okay. So Brisbane, Australia, on a flight from Singapore. The flight landed safely, all good. The woman went to the baggage carousel to grab her luggage, and as she was waiting, she noticed a suspicious piece of luggage come down the baggage chute. Was it a snake? No, but last, there, uh, last time, last episode, we talked about the crabs at the airport on the uh, luggage. Was a that few last? episodes ago. A couple episodes ago, we talked about the baggage the, with the crabs, crabs everywhere, Jules has crabs, and we talked about that. So this one is a black duffel bag that looks innocent enough, but there's several strips of yellow painter's tape that have been stuck to it, and there's writing on the tape. Hmm. Maybe like a little love note. No. In... Big black letters, it says, bomb to Brisbane. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, so they've just landed in Brisbane. There's a bag that says, bomb to Brisbane. So the woman's looking at it, maybe thinking like it's a joke. Have you heard? Did you hear? No, no, no. Story? I haven't okay. heard about this. 
So obviously police officers come, they shut down the area, you know, they're quickly investigating. Everyone's trying to figure out how a piece of luggage with the word bomb on it got through security and made it to Australia, which is clearly a very high security country. We we take our bombs very seriously. (laughs) You take your bombs seriously. You always have to look at the bombs. So the authorities investigate and they find out the bag belongs to Venkata Lakshma. I'm so sorry, Venkata. I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. Uh, She's a 65-year-old Indian woman visiting her daughter in Brisbane. They ask her to open the bag, and they quickly realize, much to their relief, there is no bomb inside. Is it Bombay to Brisbane? It is Bombay. I was going to ask you if you could guess. So she says that she started writing Bombay to Brisbane, but realized the letters wouldn't fit, so she stopped at bomb. Yeah, I mean, that's... (laughs) That's a great one. So it's a bomb to Brisbane on it. And she didn't think it was a big deal. But, you know, so obviously you don't really want to see a baggage with bomb written on it. The B word. It had actually had Mumbai written underneath it in small letters, which is also the name of Bombay. So it's probably, you know, that was a clue. Mm, But got a lot of people pretty freaked out. Understandably. What would you do if you saw a baggage that had bomb written on it coming down the carousel chute? Just start running the opposite way straight away. That's exactly what I would do because you literally don't know when that thing's going to go off. I'd probably yell bomb and then I'd start running and then I'd probably get shot. Can you imagine <laughs> Can you imagine the hysteria that you would create if you were in an airport and just screamed out at the top of your lungs, bomb? Seriously, I you would probably get chased down by... A security guard on a, a, Segway. a Segway, tackled and then arrested and sent to Guantanamo. That's probably what yeah, would happen. But I mean, if you were alerting people to a bomb that wasn't your bomb. You yeah, just... but you'd have to be like, it's not my bomb. Yeah, yeah, Someone else's bomb. Somebody's bomb. <laughs> not my bomb. <laughs> you have to be very clear when you're yelling things. That is very true. Yeah. Uh, I also, I had, well, I had a small in the news that was just related to... You know what? Uh, it was starting Monday the 11th, so starting tomorrow when you listen to this episode live. Well, not live, when you listen to it. <laughs> uh, it was just an interesting observation that LAX or LA Airport is now going to require all travelers to wear face masks. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. But I thought that the reason I would talk about it is because I think that this is really funny. They are requiring you to wear a face mask when you go to the airport, but their definition of a face mask is extremely vague. They say that it can be made from anything, literally, in quotes, a t-shirt, towel, or any other fabric held in place by rubber bands or fasteners. Wow. that I can't wait to see some of the creativity. That yes. It's going to be like a Project Runway LAX oh, mask yeah. edition. You have to remove it for security, and you're allowed to remove it for a short period of time to eat and drink, but otherwise, you have to wear a mask. And, and I think a lot of airlines are also going... I mean, I, don't, I can't imagine there's a lot of people traveling right now but other airlines like Delta and JetBlue and United are making their passengers wear masks. Good. I think that's a pretty basic thing that everybody can get on board with. What about flight attendants? About time they covered up, hey? About time. About time they covered about up. About time. Cover that up. Yeah. Let's make that a permanent thing. Yeah. Well, masks will probably become pretty much a permanent thing from here on out. If up. you think about it, though, a flight attendant does come in contact with a number of people from city to city. They are probably... Now, you know how we feel about flight attendants, but I'm just going to make a very scientific observation here because sometimes we dip into scientific stuff. A flight attendant could be the number one person, the carrier between (gasps) places. Oh my God, you're actually right. Because they go from 
New York to LA, and what do you think they bring with them? Little special baggage. Little of Corona. Corona baggage. And then they go from LA, they go to somewhere else, and they just keep skipping around, town to town. There's only one constant. There's a lot of variables with the spread of Corona, but there's only one constant. Flight, Flight attendants. Hmm. We cracked that mystery. Yeah. Government conspiracy? I don't think so. Flight attendants. Flight attendant conspiracy. Okay. Well, okay. There you go. Well, there you go. With a, uh, there's absolutely no smooth segue into this week's main story, so I'm just going to say, main story. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I mean, why not? Why not? That's a great point. Why not? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Alrighty. This week's story takes us to Colombia for a crazy tale in Ciudad Perdida. And for those of you that don't speak Spanish, that is the Lost City. Hmm. It is 2003, so we're going back a little bit. We're going back 17 years, if my math is correct. Wow. And 30... <laughs> wow. What's wow? Wow is that 2003 was 17 years ago. Like, it feels like, okay, maybe it was like like nine years ago, but it was 17. 2003 was the year I finished high school, so that means I've been out of high school. I've been out of school way longer than I've been in school. Well, I know. I guess I had university, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I've almost been out of school as long as I was in it. Wow. Oh, uh, yeah, where does the time go? Where does it, it go? It just flies away. Okay, let's not tell everybody how old, really how old we are. It's 2003 and 31-year-old, so he's old anyway, so who cares? 31-year-old British backpacker Mark, yeah, British backpacker Mark Henderson is backpacking through Latin America. Having spent already about four months in Mexico and Central America, so he was in Guatemala, Nicaragua, a couple of countries like that, he was making his way down south with the goal of visiting Colombia. Cue Vanessa Carlton song. Make my way down south, visit Colombia. <laughs> I always think that's Michelle Branch. Nope. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to check that one later. Yeah. In Colombia, he had a cousin who was teaching English, so he wanted to meet up with her as well as explore the country. Good choice. Beautiful country. Love Colombia. So this is back in 2003 when Colombia was a very different country than it is today. Mm. It's only 10 years after the fall of Escobar. So the after effects and the power vacuum of the drug wars are still having an impact on the country. There is a lot more tension between rebel groups and the Colombian government. Mm. And most importantly, for foreign tourists, there are a lot more stories of kidnappings. Mm. Okay. So, you know, Colombia is very different to very different country than it was back then. Mm-hmm. But Mark, in search of adventure, was determined to visit this magical country and explore all it had to offer. Mm-hmm. While his cousin did try to dissuade him from visiting Colombia, because she was like, no, oh, it's not that safe, you shouldn't do it. She did tell him that if he made it to Colombia, he should definitely check out Ciudad Perdida, the lost city. Wait, sorry, where does the cousin come into it? She was in Colombia or she is Colombian or she... She's in Colombia teaching English. Okay, got it. Did I say that? Yes, you did, but okay. I forgot. <laughs> okay, that's great. I just wanted to make sure that I said it. Because otherwise we have to go back and then we have to get our I intern. think you said it, but somebody... Yeah. Okay, well, we have to get our senior intern come around to verify whether I said it. I think I said it. I know you said something about a cousin, but I wasn't sure what you said about the cousin. Okay, she's teaching English. She's not a big part of the story, so don't, don't even worry. I love how Christine... <laughs> What's the cousin's name? Christy or Kirsty. Oh, okay. Well, but, that's not a bad and name. I, and I actually didn't even have it written down. She's irrelevant to the story. And I love how that's the only fact that Christine has picked up on. Okay. I want... Her story. Justice for Christie. No. We need her background. No. Okay. <laughs> Ciudad Perdida, the lost city. It is an ancient city buried deep within the Columbia Sierra Nevada, which is the mountains in the north. 
It's believed to have been founded in 18, no, 1800, 800 BC. So it's about 650 years earlier than Machu Picchu. So wow. It's, so it's old school ruins. From, like founded, like actually built? Built, yes. Okay. Like the, the city, the lost city was built about 800 BC. So it's super old school ruins. And it was first discovered in 1972 by treasure looters, of course, because mm. they're all the ones looking for the treasure. Makes so, sense. They want the booty. They want the booty. <laughs> booty looters. <laughs> so Mark flies into Cartagena, which is in the north of Colombia, and then he makes his way further north to the city of Santa Marta. While in Santa Marta, Mark found a local tour provider to take him to the lost city. So on September 8th, along with 11 other travelers and a few guides, they started the journey to the ancient ruins. Now, the trip started out with a few not-so-bomb voyages right off the bat when the janky old truck broke down a number of times on the way from the city of Santa Marta to the mountains. Mm. Finally, four hours later, they made it to the beginning of the Sierra Nevada Mountains. The Sierra Nevada Mountains, we've been up there. We have. They're really beautiful. They're really beautiful. Super lush and green, coffee plantations. So and nice. snowy. And snowy. Snowy peaks, which snowy a peaks. lot of people probably wouldn't associate with Columbia. Fair enough. Especially the north, because the north is very warm. But they have mountains that have snowy peaks. Mm, we did not get to the snowy peaks. Oh, no, 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 no. We stayed on the beach. We were on a hot beach. It was so hot. Hot, hot, hot. The tour is designed to be a six-day trek to the ruins and back. So they walk through the jungle, mountainous jungle. They spend time at the ruins, and then they trek back. So, sounds simple enough? Mm-hmm. Of course you're it is. You're in and you're out. Because they are all trekking, they pack light with just a few changes of clothes and basic toiletries. So, I guess they're camping in tents and or huts or things like that along the way. A few days in, spend a few days there, a few days out. Done deal. Everybody has fun. Go and drink your Cristals or Pilsners, your beers. Camping afterwards. is intense. Yes. So, on Monday, mor- <laughs> on Monday morning, they set off in the, in the truck. They get to the base of the mountain. Monday afternoon, they set off for the trek. They're trekking through the dense jungle, following the guides, leading them along the paths and trails towards the ruins. Two days in, by Wednesday afternoon, after two solid days of trekking, they make it there. Woohoo! Mm. So they have to like forge a river, right? Because I looked at doing this trip when I was in Colombia. I mean, we were in Colombia together, but before I went, I was looking at doing that trip and people were saying you have to, there's like a rope and you have to like wade through this rushing river yep. and hold on to the rope and people literally have died, gotten swept away. Okay. Well, haven't read about that, but I have read that the trail is quite jungly and there are times where you have to walk through a river with your backpack on top of your head to try and keep it dry and you've got to get through like cross rivers and yeah, forge mm-hmm. rivers and things like that. So mm-hmm. it is... I don't think it, it's definitely um, – I've looked at it. This was many, many years ago when I was there, uh, 10 years ago probably. I looked at doing it but didn't end up doing it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's definitely not recommended for those who are not fit and active. Mm. I think they – Are you trying to say something no, about my no, fitness no, level? No, no, I'm just saying <laughs> I'm just saying that's what they, they say. They don't recommend it for those who are not – Solid hikers. I do get hiking anxiety, so probably should probably skip that one. Yeah, skip that one. <laughs> well, especially by the time I finish this story, you probably will never want to go there. But okay. Anyway, so by so they make it there Wednesday afternoon. They stay at the ruins that night in local huts, and on Thursday they spent the whole day exploring all the nooks and crannies, taking the site and marveling at its secluded beauty. So this is back when not a lot of people were going there. There was probably a dozen people a week visiting the ruins. Columbia wasn't a huge 
tourist attraction back in 2003 because people were worried about it being dangerous. And not a lot of people were doing this hike and doing this ruin. So it was very isolated, nothing compared to Machu Picchu. Hmm. That night, all the tourists retired to the local huts again and settled into a good night's sleep before starting the trek back the next day. Probably dreaming about a hot shower and a decent meal, the group of tourists were abruptly woken at 4.30am Friday morning by a distant sound of chatter and movement outside the hut. Mm. Slowly, the chatter got louder and louder, and then from inside the hut, they heard loud shouting and screaming and demands. (gasps) Uh -uh -uh. (laughs) That's exactly the reaction I wanted. Mark, so remember Mark Henderson, he's the British backpacker who this story follows. Mark, pretending to be asleep and hoping it was just a bad dream, was suddenly forced awake by the feeling of a gun being poked into his ribs. They had been no one woken likes up. That feeling. <laughs> they had been woken up by a rebel group oh, that was using no. these mountains as their hideout and headquarters in a fight against the government. Awake and terrified, the tourists were escorted out of the huts and they could now see there were a bunch of soldiers with guns. They didn't really know what was going. So at this stage, so they're sleeping, they're fast asleep, they hear the chatter, they get woken up, they're like, what the hell is going on? They get taken outside and then suddenly in the moonlight they can see the silhouette of all these soldiers with guns. So they don't really know what's going on at this stage, but they were told that down the road, down the trail, two people were being killed and that the soldiers were going to escort them back to Santa Marta. Well, okay, so they're like Colombian soldiers. They're not rebel group. So they... Uh, people with guns who tell who wake them up in the middle okay. of the morning, early morning, and tell them that there were two people who were killed and they need to take them back to Santa Marta, escort okay. them. They split the tourists into f- two different groups, fit and able and not so fit and able. What? So basically- <laughs> Based on what? <laughs> I guess they just looked at them and just went, fatty, fitty, uh, fatty. Oh I don't know. God. I don't know what they did. So basically it was two groups, those that were fit enough to follow the rebels and those that stayed behind. So based on the very rigorous criteria from the rebels. Did they make them do like activities, like army activities? Like they have, they run out tires and they have to Yeah, like, there was some form of obstacle course. And, okay, a rope pull, things yeah. like that. And then okay. it was just like general like uh, trivia questions. Oh, yeah. Whether you'd be a good companion. What was your special skill? There, I think there might, have been, falls. there might have been a swimsuit. Run, competition. I don't know. So five people stayed behind and seven went with the rebels. So Mark Henderson was put into the fit group along with six other tourists and away they went, following the rebels into the jungle. Remember, these rebels were taking them back to Santa Marta because someone had been killed. So they're following the rebels along the trail and then they realize there's only one problem. They're going the complete opposite direction as to where they came in. Oh, my God. Originally, not trying not to fear the worst, it was now that they realized, hey, we're being taken hostage by a rebel group. Jesus. So they are thinking at this stage, when they first get woken up, their first thought is, these people have guns. This is kind of terrifying. They all know the stories of what can happen in Colombia. But their story, they're hoping is true when they say they're going to lead them back. But when they start leading them into the opposite direction, they're trying not to fear the worst, but they think this is what's happening. Oh, my God. That's so stressful. So they're being led into the jungle by this group and they're getting further and further and deeper and deeper away from the lost city and the routes back to Santa Marta. So, damn. So now it's really starting to sink in. We're being taken. What do we do? We're in a Liam Neeson movie. We've been taken. taken. Life is taken. (laughs) Day after day, they continue to walk. Day after day? Day after day. They walk for days? Yes. They've been walking for a number of days with very little food. 
being led along paths through the dense jungle when one of the tourists decided enough was enough. Uh -uh. Side story. Ooh. Ooh. Is it Christy's turn? Do we get to hear from the cousin? No, there is no Christy. This is Uh. a side story. Introducing Matthew Scott. Oh, Ooh. yeah, that's right. This main story's got two characters. Maddie Scott. Maddie Scott is a 19-year-old backpacker from England. Baby. And Matthew was on a gap year and backpacking Latin America when he too heard of the Lost City and was enchanted by its mystery. Mm. Eagerly signing up for the trek, he could never have predicted days later what he was about to do, throw himself off a cliffside while being taken hostage from Colombian rebels. He threw himself off a cliff? Matthew, not wanting to be led into the mountains by a group of armed rebels, decided that he wasn't going to go down without a fight. As the Colombian rebels were marching the group along a steep mountainous path, Matthew looked down the cliffside and saw an opportunity to escape. With dense jungle running down the steep cliffside into a river, Matthew took this opportunity when the rebels were distracted and jumped off the path and down the cliff. He tumbled down the cliffside. So this is... This is not a straight down cliff. So they're walking along a path that's been cut into the mountainside, but it's a very steep, like, hill. Very Holy steep cliff. Holy shit. Yeah. So he tumbled down the cliffside and eventually hit the river at the bottom. From up the top, he heard shouts and screams, but he had done it. He had evaded the rebels as no one had come tumbling down after him. And they didn't try to, like, shoot down at him? It was dense. That's what I would be worried thick, about. dense jungle. Okay. So he's quoted as saying, we were on the mountainside. I heard the river on the right and followed the sound. The sides were very deep. I jumped over the sides very quickly. I was lucky not to break my arms or legs. So they were walking along the path and he heard the river. So it was just dense jungle after dense jungle, trail, trail. Everything probably looked the same. But he said that he heard the river from down below Mm. on his right-hand side. So he's following it with his ear. and So he thought to himself, there's a river down there. I can get to that. This jungle's super, super dense. I've got to go for it. So bang, he just jumped off the side of the cliff, tumbled down, rolled, 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 hit the river at the bottom, looked up, saw that nobody was roll, 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 rolling down after him oh with guns God. and thought, I made it. The river is smart because then you can follow it back to the ocean and Santa Marta is on the ocean. Correct. Mm. So tired, hungry and weak from several days of walking already, Matthew continued to trek through the jungle following the river for another few days before he came across a small indigenous village in the middle of nowhere. They must have been like, what? What Who is this British dude? So so there's a couple of discrepancies, just quick quick little interjection. I can't tell if he'd been walking for 10 days, jumped and then walked for two, or if he jumped straight away after they took him and he walked for 12 days. But either way, it says that he'd walked for 12 days after being captured. Wow. And so basically- That's a long time. That's a long time. So either like- So I'm just going to split the difference. He was walking with the rebels for six days. He jumped down. He walked for six days. Either way, 12 days since he was taken that first night by the rebels until he came across this village. So that's a long time to be walking and going without proper food or sleep or anything like that. At least he could drink the river water. Yeah. I would think probably. Better than nothing. If you're going to... Well, actually, if you get a parasite, probably not better than nothing. But Mm. So he had stumbled across the Kogi, Kogi Indigenous Group. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Sounds the familiar. Yeah, the Kogi yeah. that are in the Sierra Nevada. Mm-hmm. So he'd stumbled across their village and he was sure happy to find them. He <laughs> said they gave him some food and they set off to alert the authorities that Matthew had stumbled into their village or maybe tumbled. I don't know. Oh, my God. He says, I'd hardly eaten anything for the last 12 days. The tribe that found me gave me soup and beans with a little salt and three oranges. Those are the oh. only things I've eaten in the last 12 days. That probably tasted amazing. Oh, yeah. 
that that Albanian salt soup. Mm, that sounds good. I'm hungry. An orange would be very nice, though. Yes. So Matthew was eventually rescued by the military and taken to Santa Marta Army Base to debrief and they and provide as much information to the army as he could to help them with the rescue. He was also taken to the hospital to recover from the ordeal. It was also at this stage that they were finally able to get a little bit more information on who the captors were, and they realized it was the ELN, who is the National Liberation Army, and they're a bunch of grillers. Well, they're not real grillers. <laughs> a bunch of grillers. They're not real grillers. Are they silverbacks? Or? They're silverbacks, okay. yes. So the ELN are a revolutionary left-wing Marxist group that have been warring with Columbia since their foundation in 1964. Mm. They are demanding that Columbia... So they were demanding that Columbia freed their grillers, their other grillers, not the grillers. Free all the gorillas. And also not the band, the grillers. Hey, maybe... I'm just getting an idea here. Maybe the gorillas and like the the rebels and actual gorillas should team up. Make it all tri- trio. <laughs> that seems like it. And a super, the band. The band, the real gorillas, and the rebels. It's the ultimate threesome. That sounds like an unstoppable force. Yeah. They could take over the world. And they call themselves Gorillas Cubed. <laughs> so the ELN are demanding that Columbia free their captured rebels from jail, and they're trying to raise awareness of their struggles and demands. They also wanted a commission to investigate abuses of power by paramilitary groups that affected local indigenous groups. Mm. So the ELN, they are left-wing. They are looking for liberation and freedom under a tight military regime from Colombia. So I'm not saying that they're the good guys. I'm just saying that they they were looking at how paramilitary groups were affecting the local indigenous groups. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to raise awareness. So one of the reasons why they captured the hostages was to get some international media attention to their cause. Smart. Yeah. I mean, good (laughs) marketing. It's very nice. It's not very nice, but it's not a bad marketing tactic. If you want to get eyeballs on you, capture some foreign tourists. They're working with a good PR agency. Yeah, that's it. Somebody's definitely not the person who's working with the buses. Oh, yeah. they need to, the bus people need to hire the ELN. <laughs> they need so, to hire the gorilla PR yeah, seriously. person. Okay, so Matthew had jumped. He was free. He made it. There's still another six people that are being captured at the time. So now back to our main broadcast. Matthew had just jumped off the cliff and was going, you know, off to make his daring escape. But meanwhile, Mark and the other tourists were still being led deeper and deeper into the jungle by these masked men and women. Mark had actually disagreed. So this is an interesting thing to note. Mark had actually disagreed with Matthew about his plans to escape, saying that it was dangerous to the group if there were repercussions. So mm. I guess when they were walking along the path, this is actually interesting because I found this multiple times in multiple stories. As they were walking along the path, I guess Matthew sort of talked to Mark and said, hey, I'm thinking about jumping off. And Mark was very adamant in saying, no, don't do it. Like you could fuck this up for the group. Mm, I could see that. So my first question is, do you escape if you have the chance or do you stick with solidarity with the group? I could see both angles because if, you know, one person escapes, then they, the gorillas might find that to be a threat, obviously. And then they'll be like, oh, you know, I'm going to take this out on somebody else in the group. And that could be really problematic. And it's like, if anybody else tries to escape, I'm going to shoot you. Well, that was Mark's exact thought. He thought it was a selfish move. And but, even to this day, he says he thinks that. Although in saying that, one of the head people 
of the Colombian army or something said that he thought it was a good idea that he did it. I don't know. There's different camps. But it could also be seen as brave because he obviously put himself at a risk of jumping because, you know, somebody could have easily ran down after him or shot him as he was going down or whatever. And he was able to communicate to the outside world what was going down. So that, you know, obviously that was an important part of it too. Mm. So many different opinions. Two camps. I see both views. So after Matthew got away, the security got a lot stricter and the leader was very, very pissed off about it. I bet. So they now had a guard by their side at all times and they were told that any other attempts to escape would result in a hostage being killed. Okay. So, well, there you go. It escalated. So shit got serious. Mm -hmm. So along they march, hour after hour through the mountainous jungle. Mark says that he recalls walking for sometimes up to 23 hours a day. What? I don't... These people must have been super fit. How did they keep going? They love to hike. <laughs> they hike. They this had, is why I don't hike. They had to get their steps up. Yeah. I hope they were all wearing their Fitbits because oh that would be God. incredible. They For meals, they ate nutrient, very deficient meals of yucca and sugar cane and were given a plastic sheet for bedding at night. After five more days, they reached a small house. They went inside and found a wooden bed with ropes on it. And Mark started oh to really worry about the future plans that for him and his fellow captors, thinking, hmm, this is going to be a very interesting couple of years, isn't it? A bed with ropes? Oh, yes. Jesus. But they didn't stop there. They continued to walk for weeks. Often, what? Often doubling back on where they came from, zigzagging and always continuing to stay on the move. The word was out now that the ELN rebels had taken the foreigners as hostages they had communicated back to the Colombian government and to the people on the outside that they had. So they were in communication with them saying, we have these foreigners. These are our demands. Okay. So they were using them as a ransom, not for financial, but for publicity and for some of their demands. Political. Political. So the rebels wanted to keep on the move so the Colombian army couldn't track and find them. So that's why they walked for up to six weeks. I do Just not understand. working their way deeper and deeper into the jungle. They were going here. They were going there. They were going everywhere. <laughs> well, because they didn't want the Colombian army to track them down. Yeah. So they stayed on the move. So right. if they set up camp, that was going to be – I mean, you, we're talking super, super vast, dense jungle. Mm-hmm. So it would be hard to find them anyway. But they wanted to stay on the move to make sure that they weren't tracked down. I understand the why, but the how – is very difficult for there me to are, understand. This, there are many, I could talk about this for hours, this story. There are many uh, quotes and snippets from their stories about how they were so exhausted. There's a story about one girl who was just collapsing and had to be carried. They weren't getting fed properly. They weren't sleeping properly. They're obviously terrified because they're being held captive by rebels with guns. Mm-hmm. They're walking all the time. They're exhausted. So... Oh, my God. It just would have been so, so tough. What a nightmare. So (laughs) Mark says they walked for up to six weeks. It's estimated that they could have walked over 600 miles while trying to avoid the army. They had terrible (laughs) sleeping conditions. Oh, it's insane. They had terrible sleeping conditions to go alongside the constant walking and no caloric food. They eventually made it to a safe area, and I guess there was a camp set up there, and that's where they stayed. And this is a quote from Mark. The guards insisted that we went to bed, which was in fact just a hard floor at 6 p.m. and stayed there until daylight, says Mark. It was freezing and we tried to pass the time by singing songs. 
Aww. I'd dream I was back home, then I'd wake up to the dreadful reality that I was still a hostage. I kept myself sane by bathing in the nearby lake every day, reading the one book I had and writing in my diary. So Mark wow. so Mark actually had a little journal that he had with him and he said I think he said he stole pens from the guards and was actually able to keep a journal and he turned it into a book and there's other stuff that wow. came after that. But yeah, he How actually have never heard of this story. There's just so many great stories out there when shit goes wrong on the road. Apparently. Sometimes they were together as a group. Sometimes they were separated, but they were always heavily guarded by armed rebels of the ELN who were using them as leverage to broker some deals in the meantime. Mm-hmm. So there was Mark. I think there was a Spanish and a German. I couldn't, I couldn't work out whether the girl was German or Spanish. And then there were four Israelis. And they say that the four Israelis were always very combatant with the captors. They were trying to escape. A few times they got caught. They were very standoffish. They were very hostile towards him. Mark says that he actually tried a different tactic and he tried to become very friendly with them. Mm. So he, I guess he realized that they weren't really trying to kill them, that they were trying to use them as a political pawn. Mm -hmm. And he says that he actually became very friendly with them. He tried to learn their names. He spoke to them. He just tried to keep his spirits up Mm -hmm. because he tried to build some kind of rapport with them. I feel like that's probably a better tactic. I think that's a better tactic than being like, fuck you, I'm going to run away. (laughs) Yeah. Meanwhile, behind the scenes, there were negotiations and talks between the ELN and the Colombian government to release the hostages. Via like a radio or something? I guess they have those big radios in the jungle and, you Like know, a giant cell phone yeah. with the antenna. Or they, yeah, or they have somebody who's going through somebody who's going th- through somebody. Mm. So they were using the Catholic Church as in kind of like an intermediary between the government and the rebels. They were relaying messages and working behind the scenes to try and make a deal between both parties that saw the release of the tourists. So the Catholic Church was the middle person between the conversations. So the ELN would talk to the the Catholic priests. They would then talk mm-hmm. to the government and being used back and forth. So there wasn't a direct contact between the two. Mm-hmm. Sometime, this little part, part of the story I didn't investigate as much. It was a little bit more vague. But sometime after a few months, oh. there were talks that helped release one of the women Rini and a man who were with the group, but Mark and the four Israeli tourists were still being held captive. Mm. The Catholic Church was still pushing for an outcome, but the Colombian government was not budging on some of the ELN demands, and it wasn't until the United Nations put the pressure on them that they saw some real progress. Mm. After 97 days <gasps> held captive, <sighs> Mark and the rest of the group finally got some good news, probably their first bit of news because I can't imagine they were being... Updated. Updated regularly. They didn't have Facebook and Instagram. They couldn't check out, you know, what's my hostage situation like right now? <laughs> Head they on finally Twitter. found after 97 days their first bit of news that they were going to be released. Oh, my God. 97 days? 97-day fiancé. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Mark says that he was literally at his breaking point and was about to shut down just before he heard the news. Wow. He says that one of the ELN leaders came up to him and said that they were being released on Monday, which was in four days' time. <sighs> so on Friday, they started their walking oh. <laughs> towards the meeting point that had been negotiated by a humanitarian commission that was made up of... Um, the church people, the the UN, a bunch of different people. So there was this humanitarian commission that was working around the clock on it because this became big news. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got six, seven tourists from around the world captured, being held hostage. So everybody's on board. Not big enough to make it to sophomore year, Christine, in yeah. Menlo Park, California, final, but final high school okay. year in Australia. But you know, it was, it was everybody a good else year. was in on it. 
So they walked for a few days, and on Monday, they dropped off the hostages at the designated spot, called in the location, and then retreated into the jungle before the helicopters arrived to pick them up. Members of the UN, the Catholic Church, and the Commission were there to make sure it was a very peaceful exchange. There was no army that was there. They were... That was part of the arrangement. Mm. And finally, after 101 days in the jungle, Mark oh. and his fellow captors, the four Israeli guys, were free. Oh, my God. That is so long to be doing so anything, long. let alone being held captive by gorillas and walking. I cannot get over the walking. The walking. That is like that is your nightmare. I think you'd be more... I think you'd be more scared of having to walk for 23 hours a day than being captured. Yes. I'd rather hang out with gorillas like by the lake than have to walk by walk by myself for that many days. So they were free. They were flown in the helicopters to a nearby airport and boarded a flight to the capital, Bogota. Aside Damn. from losing a lot of weight. I was going to say, they'd be skinny. Oh, yeah. It's that captive diet. <laughs> Apart from losing a lot of weight and being exhausted and filthy, the tourists were actually in pretty good health, but they had to visit the hospital to make sure that they didn't have parasites or malaria and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But other, other than that, I, I thought that was really surprising. Other than that, they were pretty healthy. Like, they weren't too bad. I guess it was all that exercise. <laughs> Any guesses for what Mark Henderson's first meal was after spending 101 days eating plain rice, yuca, and... I think sugar cane cubes. Oh, um, it's very see. obscure. Is it is obscure? Yes, I'll Sushi? just tell you who it is. He ate a lump of cheese and a, and drank a can of Coke. That sounds amazing. Yeah, a lump of cheese. Yeah, it actually says lump of cheese. If your cheese is lumpy, you may want to no, no, look like at the a, expiration a, date. A chunk, a chunk, a yeah. hunk, a, a hunk, hunk of cheese, hunk of cheese, a hunk of cheese and a can of Coke sounds amazing. What would be so I've got a question here. What would be your first meal if you spent 101 days captured by rebels? Oh, it would have to be something like gigantic. I'd probably just do like a full Mexican feast with like every type of food, Buffy. like taco, burrito, enchiladas, tostada, tamale. We're doing everything. We're doing everything. Okay, I said mine would be just a cheesy, cheesy-ass pizza. A cheesy-ass pizza? <laughs> cheesy-ass pizza. Just a super cheesy, saucy, plain margarita pizza and a cold beer. That sounds amazing. I would definitely do the can of Coke. Yeah. So after getting cleared to return home, they all left Columbia and they got back just towards the end of December. I'm pretty sure that Mark got back on Christmas Eve. Oh, what a lovely Christmas gift for his family. After being away for three and a half months, happily ever after. Or was it? Oh, no. Please don't tell me this is going to be like some sort of lost situation where they were... I don't want to spoil it. It was all a dream. (laughs) No, but the story continues. So it's the end of 2003. Everybody's back home and safely reunited with their families. Mark Henderson is back in time for Christmas. Matthew, who had made it back sooner, that little rebel who evaded the rebels, <laughs> and also the woman, Rini, and the other guy had made it back a few weeks before Mark and the Israelis, but everyone was finally back. But this is not where the story ends. Oh, gosh. About, no, it's, a, it's an interesting. It's a, it can I me. ask one question real yes, quick? Yes, you can. The others, the unfit group that I would have been a part of back at the beginning of the story when they separated them, they were just let go immediately or what? Great question. Never looked it up. Couldn't oh. find out any information about it. I'm sure that there is some information, but all of the stories were about Mark Henderson because of this next section particularly, 
about Matthew Scott, Scoot, Scott, Matthew Scott, not Scoop. Michael Scott, <laughs> uh, about Maddie, the guy who jumped, and also about this girl, Rini. And yeah, I, I, was, I thought exactly the same thing when I was researching this story. What happened to the other people? I'm just assuming that they were probably led back and weren't taken captive because they could I guess, not keep up on that three month walk. Well, I guess the rebels made a very calculated decision and thought to themselves, these people aren't going to make the trek. And I guess they didn't really want them to die because they, their intention wasn't to kill these people. They wanted to use them as leverage. So if they took them and led them through the jungle and these people couldn't make it and they died, mm-hmm. then that would have been really bad for them. True. So they made a calculated decision. I would have been in the unfit group. Sorry, I would have. They actually probably would have looked at me because I am fairly thin and put me in the fit group. But joke would have been on them because I am not fit and I could <laughs> you not walk that long. Do go. <laughs> I would have just sat down on the hike and been like, "Nope, I'm done. Leave me here." Okay. Well, I think that's what happened to. Maybe that's why Rini, the girl, got released earlier because she also talked about how she struggled a lot mm-hmm. for it. So anyway. Uh, where am I? Where am I? Where okay, am I? so unfit group, we unfit do not group. know. Yeah, Paris. okay, so yeah, oh yeah, so that's a great question, and I, I've got no idea. I'm assuming they probably just led back down the mountain as the undesirables. So, and I guess the tour guides were left as well. Yeah, they would have been left alone because there's no there's no leverage there. Yeah. So about a year after being released, Mark is in London and he's having dinner with one of the Colombian priests who helped with the negotiations. Wow. So I guess he was in town for maybe some kind of priest conference or something. Mm. And Mark, having, you know, owing this guy a lot of gratitude, decided, you know, priest catch up fest with him. 2020. <laughs> yeah, priest fest 2004, I guess 24, it was. 24. And the Colombian priest told Mark that one of the kidnappers, a man named Antonio, would like to make contact with him. What? He told him Fuck that. that Antonio, <laughs> along with his rebel partner Camilla, who was also part of the group that captured them, had since left the ELN and wanted to connect with the group. Hesitantly, Mark agreed to pass on his email address to Antonio. So the priest said, hey, this guy's reached out since then. He's left the ELN. Him and his partner are two people who were your kidnappers. They want to make contact with you. Holy can I give them? Shit. Can I give them your email address? And he's like, mm, no. <laughs> okay. So for five years, Mark and Antonio stay in touch via email. Camilla even sent them Facebook friend requests and invited both Mark and Rini to their wedding. Oh my god! So the wedding of Antonio and Camilla, the two captors, uh, the two um, rebels, invited them to the wedding. That's insane. Would you go? Oh my! I I don't know. I would be. I think. I mean, you could probably. You would definitely have like PTSD from this event. 100%. So I feel like I would probably never go back to Colombia, and I don't. I don't think I could do it. So it was at this point that Mark had an idea. Now I didn't tell you, but Mark actually works. He's a freelance film and production work works in that industry. Okay. And Mark had an idea to go back to Columbia, meet his captors and film a documentary about it. Wow. So That's smart. In 2009, so this is 6 years after being captured, along with Rini, the woman, the only woman in the group, and two of the Israeli guys, Mark went back to Columbia to meet his captors and document the experience. They Damn. Re- they revisited the camp, the ruins and also the camp where they were kidnapped along with the route 
that they followed and like the trails and things like that along the way to document it. All involved used it as a very good opportunity for closure on a horrifying ideal that changed all their lives forever. And this is a quote from Rini, one of the women who I think, so they, there is a lot more to the end of this story in regards to this. They do talk a lot about how they definitely had PTSD. They definitely mm-hmm. didn't take them, didn't fully take in the situation until years later even mm-hmm. about how much of an impact it had on them. And Rini in particular, I think it really affected her. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason it affected her as well is because she she talked about how being the only woman in the group, she didn't have anybody to relate with mm-hmm. as much and mm-hmm. it was really tough on her. Yeah, but And she said, the trip gave me, so this is in regards to the trip going back in 20, 2009 to film the documentary and to be a part of the project. She says, the trip gave me a chance to face the past. I cried when I went back to the camp where I was kidnapped. That's the point at, my lo- at which my life changed, but it also gave me a lot of peace, which I didn't have peace before. Wow. So there is just, it's fascinating to think that they would go back and meet these people. The documentary is called My Kidnapper. It was released in 2010, which was put together by Mark Henderson and some some other crew. And it's just fascinating if you want to check it out. I haven't watched the whole thing. I just watched a snippet of it in the trailer. And it's just a really, really interesting concept to go back and visit the people who kidnapped you for three and a half months. I think that it's it's hard it's hard to fully comprehend how impactful that would be and i think that knowing more about the group and knowing what they were doing if you could sympathize with that a little bit you realize that it's nothing personal mm-hmm. it's just like the opportunity but still it completely fucked up your life right. and fucked up the future of like how you thought so you've got to feel anger towards that but you've got to maybe feel sympathy towards their cause i don't know it would just be such an interesting parallel i don't know it would be there's a lot of emotions there's a lot of emotions there one thing that's really interesting to note and i read some quotes about this as they were going over mark and rini were talking about how they were going to greet antonio they weren't sure whether they should shake his hand whether like how and it seems like such a trivial thing but one of the things they were running through in their head is how do we greet this guy how do we talk to somebody who held us for so long Mm -hmm. and they said that they were thinking about maybe being a little bit standoffish at the start, but when they first saw him, they actually ended up giving him a hug. Wow. And it's just, there was a lot of mixed emotions. Mark talks about how throughout their conversation at times he felt, you know, happy and he felt almost like he was reacquainted with an old friend in a weird way. Mm-hmm. But then he also felt angry about it and it brought up a lot of the old emotions. Antonio seems to be the um, one of the nicer guards i guess Mm. the ones that opened up about it and he was a little bit more hesitant and apologetic about the experience and what they went through but it just seems like i don't know i'm just really unsure of how i would feel Mm. i think it's probably kind of impossible to tell unless you're in that situation yeah but it i mean the guards went through that experience as well like that was probably difficult for everybody involved and stressful but obviously, they're on two different sides. It would it would really depend on how the guard treated you, I think. Yes, and I think that's the big difference is that so the woman, Camilla, the, one of the other rebels, she was supposedly a bit more sympathetic and she also was not very happy with the situation. Like she wasn't keen on the walking and the, you know, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. But I guess she was just being used just like just like the 
hostages were being used as a pawn in the bigger picture, these guerrillas that were walking through the the jungle and keeping them captive, they were also being used by the ELN. Mm-hmm. They weren't the people at the top. Right. So they were just being used. So, you know, it was kind of they have – I guess the ELN has a vision and a mission as to what they want to achieve in Colombia and that was one of their tactics and the soldiers that were using them as bait, I guess – they were also being used in the bigger picture. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it would be really difficult to judge the situation, but they do say that there was basically a roller coaster. They were happy. They were sad. They were angry. They went through the whole array of emotions. But eventually, the most importantly is that they said that that trip gave them the opportunity for closure because when they Mm. were finally rescued, they were sent back, bang, out of it, done. And it seemed like it was very lingering, especially for Rini who says that she had a really hard time afterwards. It was very lingering. So going, you know, they probably thought, I'm never, ever going to go back and see that jungle. I'm never going to see Columbia. I'm never going to see anything. Mm. And to go back and have that, to leave on your own terms, to be like, Mm -hmm. I'm going there. Mm -hmm. Fuck this. I'm going to get over it. Mm -hmm. I can imagine that would be great for closure. So that's what they got. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah. So that story is called My Kidnapper. That's a documentary by Mark and his crew. And yeah. Check it out and check out the story. We'll, we'll put links to it all in the show notes at notsobonvoyage.com for this episode. I'll put links to the stories, the interviews, and the trailer and the movie. But, yeah, very interesting. Damn, that was amazing. You told that very well. That's a crazy story. Crazy story. That's a really good one. Yeah, I think that was one of my favorite ones researching because I had – because we love Columbia and, you know, the ruins and just all that, like, it was very interesting researching. That, on top of the fact that the story is just so interesting and then had a side plot and then had a side story and mm-hmm. had a weird follow-up where, I don't know, it was just a crazy story. It was story. a perfect story, if you ask me. Perfect storm. Wow. Well, then on that perfect story ending, we should just end this episode. Okay. Thank okay. you for sharing that with us. No worries. Wrapping up, any announcements for what's happening this week? This week, we have another awesome Voyager chat coming up on Thursday. The story is reminiscent of The Hangover 2. So think Thailand, think lots of booze, think getting into trouble around the crazy streets. Waking up somewhere very unexpected. Yeah, it is a really good story. So definitely tune in on Thursday to hear that Voyager chat. Yep, that's Thursday, 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 Voyager chat. (laughs) A radio announcer. And ladies and gentlemen, that is all for the Not So Bon Voyage podcast. Stay safe on the road. And if you're not, don't forget to tell us about it. (laughs) Bye, bitches. Bye.